Okay, so this is the 13th installment of the Infinitely Happier series, Caves, Craniums, and the Lie We Tell Ourselves. I thought that was a fun title. I don't usually read the title of the episodes, but today, Caves, Craniums, and the Lie We Tell Ourselves. And today, we're going to talk about stories and about the capital S story as an art form, and about lies that we tell ourselves, and about caves. (laughs) Sounds so disjointed, doesn't it? And we're going to talk about the cave that you ought to be most interested in in the world, the cave that holds your brain, your skull, or your own cranium, is the cave that we're discussing today. Now, you might think I'm crazy, But I've been tugging on this ball of yarn for a while now, trying to sort out this weird pile of metaphors and ideas that have kind of congealed and knotted together in my brain, and it's been a bit of a Gordian knot. I've been playing with this idea for this episode for a long time, and I think I finally have it. Um, Forgive me if I don't make perfect sense here, but I think there's some stuff we need to talk about that relates to story as an art form and the stories that we tell ourselves and how we need to get inside the cranium cave and figure some stuff out. So if you're up for it, we'll go on a journey into the power of story because that's going to lead us to finally confront the big story, the lie that we tell ourselves. Every one of us has some type of limiting story, and they usually turn out not to be true. And these stories keep us stuck. They keep us struggling over and over again with the same issues in our lives. And this is one of the reasons journaling would be important because I bet if you journaled faithfully about what you're going through 10 years from now, there will be some recurring themes of the same issues that you're still dealing with. And we need to figure out how to confront that big story that we tell ourselves. And you know what? Caves can be scary places. They're dark, they're damp, there's bats and there's bears and there's spiders and there's weird stuff in there. And we don't know what's in that cold and unknown place. But often the very thing that we need is hidden in there. And we have to learn how to find the courage to go in there, find it, and deal with it. And you know me well enough to know by now that the cave I'm referring to the most is the recesses of our own minds. Because, my friend, learning how to confront the labeling myths and limiting stories we've layered onto our minds over the courses of our lives is the only way to actually find ourselves on the threshold of victory over everything we've been so afraid to challenge. If you want to become infinitely happier, if you really want to step into the sunshine of the light that God has in store for you in your life now and in the coming life of eternity, if you want to do that and get to that place, friend, you got to go into the cave. Remember, Proverbs fifteen fifteen says, For the despondent every day brings trouble, but the happy heart, for the happy heart, life is a continual feast. And I'm telling you, friend, you get to decide whether you're going to live despondent, where every day is just a problem, or you're going to be happy. Because the, the fact is, you can't control the circumstances, but you can separate the circumstances from your emotional state and you can learn how to be happy and be hopeful and hold on to faith no matter what is happening in your life. And until you can find the courage to go into the cave and figure out what you're actually dealing with, you're never going to find that peace and that happiness. So it's time to face our biggest fears, my friend. It's time to go in to the cave of our own craniums And it's time to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. 
And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you'd like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Joseph Campbell was a writer who wrote a book that's incredibly famous called The Hero with a Thousand Faces. He published it back in 1949, and the book is about story. Campbell was one of the first people to realize that every culture just about throughout history has some elements, some some themes to the stories that they tell. And it's remarkable how among humans, the stories that we tell all have certain central elements. And despite our culture and language differences and the differences of time and space, great stories all turn on the similar engines Here's the gist of every great story. Campbell was one of the first ones to noodle this out. But the gist is, and and, uh, frankly, uh, Donald Miller has written about this and and done a very good job surmising, sort of uh, summarizing what Joseph Campbell said. A hero has a problem in every great story. And the hero then meets a guide who shows him the way and calls him to action. And then the hero goes off to some other place to fight the battle. And the long story of how that battle is fought and whether they win or lose, the result of the action to which the hero is called determines victory, which turns it into an epic comedy. Back in those days, successful stories that ended ended positively were called comedies, or a, a failure, a tragedy, or a defeat. Now, Campbell is famous for a quote that it's not clear if he actually said or not. The quote goes, that's usually attributed to Joseph Campbell, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. This idea shows up in Star Wars. George Lucas admittedly was a big fan of Campbell's work, and he wrote the scene where Luke Skywalker is sent into the cave by Yoda to face his fears and find out that Darth Vader might be his dad. That scene is based on this idea of a hero having a problem and meeting a guide who calls him to action. And that idea came from Campbell. George Lucas was a big fan of Joseph Campbell. It shows up in Indiana Jones, and it shows up in movies and books all over the world all the time. That concept of a hero having a problem and meeting a god and being called to action and then seeing what happens after that. But it turns out the actual quote seems to have been some sort of a summary, a prolix, if you will, which was from a book that was written in 1991 by a, a person who was studying Campbell, Diane Osborne. And I put the link in the show notes for you. The, the piece was, that she wrote was called Reflections on the Art of Living, a Joseph Campbell compilation. I'm sorry, a Joseph Campbell companion. And so there was a bunch of material selected and edited by Dan, Diane Osborne, and I'll put that link in the notes. But here's what she was able to put together that he actually did say or write. 
And here it is. It is by going down into the abyss that we recover the treasures of life. Where you stumble, there lies your treasure. The very cave you are afraid to enter turns out to be the source of what you're looking for. The thing in the cave that was so dreaded has become the center. You find the jewel and it draws you off. In loving the spiritual, you cannot despise the earthly. Hear that, friend. In loving the spiritual, you cannot despise the earthly. There's a big problem, I think, in Christianity, in some parts of Christianity, where we're, we're really taught that we're not supposed to be happy. We're just supposed to get through life and kind of grit, grit it out and get through it, and then we're going to get to be happy in eternity, that we're supposed to just kind of keep our heads down and wait it out until we get to heaven, and then somehow all these miserable people who have never learned how to be happy will be enraptured for all of eternity. I don't believe that's biblical. Um, some of that idea, though, comes from Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, but it's distorted. Here's what the Bible actually says. It's talking about people of great faith and the examples that they have set for us with their lives. And they say this, all these people died still believing what God had promised them. They did not receive what was promised, but they saw it all from a distance and welcomed it. They all agreed that they were foreigners and nomads here on earth. And obviously, people who say such things are looking forward to a country they can call their own. If they had longed for the country they came from, they could have gone back. But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so we think that means that we're not supposed to expect joy here. But that's not what Jesus taught. I've been telling you over and over. Jesus said in John 10 that we are supposed to have an abundant life. He said the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And Paul said rejoice in the Lord always again. I say rejoice. We are supposed to be joyful people living abundant life. So how do we do that? It has to mean that Joseph Campbell was right. We love the spiritual, but we don't despise the earthly. We want this life, this beautiful place that God created just for us to have dominion over was supposed to be enjoyable to us. And so our work, friend, has to be in trying to figure out how to be a good future citizen of heaven and to long for that place because that's our real home, but while simultaneously trying to figure out how to be happy here in the place God designed for us despite the hard things that we will encounter in this life. Because if we believe that our lives are supposed to help other people find the peace and security we have in Christ, then we're never going to be able to positively influence them if we are people who are negative and miserable, right? We have to have some positive aspects of our characters and our lives, or why would anybody want what we say that we have? So we've got a little work to do. And I want to think about some concepts here. And one of them is place, purpose, and people. I believe that we are called to inhabit a particular place at a particular time in our life for a particular purpose, and that the people around us are supposed to become our people, and we're supposed to help them and be helped by them in community. And that's why we're supposed to be part of a church family and have a group of people around us who are like-minded and who can help us deal with the hard things in life. I also believe we're supposed to have Sabbath. We're not supposed to work ourselves into an early grave. And if you know me, you're probably rolling your eyes right now because I have a terrible problem with work-life balance. Frankly, that's one of the reasons I believe God has called us here to Nebraska. We are going to work hard here, but we are also going to live here. 
We're going to be people who live here and work here and are part of this place for a purpose with our people. Now, here's the thing. In this idea of trying to learn how to live an abundant and joyful life, one of the issues that we face is that there's always a big lie, and that big lie is ready to pounce on you whenever you let yourself hear it. There's a voice in your head. I know there is because I have one too. All of us do. There's a voice that tells you a story about yourself that is negative and it's harmful. If you've been raped, for example, that voice will say, you deserved that somehow. You did something to bring that on. You'll never be whole again. No one will ever love you. You can't enjoy intimacy anymore. Those lies will pop up. I know because I know some of those people. If you were abused in some way, your lie, your story will tell you that you did something to bring that on yourself, that you earned it somehow, that it wasn't their fault, it was your fault somehow. That, that story will play in your head. If you've had financial trouble in your past, the big story will be that you'll never be okay. You'll never be secure. You'll never be out of debt. You'll never get that paid off. You'll never be successful again. If you have been unfaithful to your spouse in the past, if you've been divorced, if you've lost a child, if you have been fired from jobs, if you failed to be promoted, you will have a limiting story that tells you that you can't be in a healthy relationship, that you did something wrong that led to your child's death, that you are unemployable or unlovable or unwantable or not as smart or not as savvy as somebody else. You will have a lie, maybe multiple lies, that play like a tape in your mind when you're quiet. And I'm here to tell you, that that lie is hinting at what it is that's in the cave that you need to summon the courage to go and deal with. Because if you don't learn how to walk into that cave and look into your own mind and figure out how to find the root of that story, that lie that is being told to you, you will never break free and be okay in your life. If you don't learn how to summon the courage to go and deal with that thing friend, you're never going to be okay. Here's my problem. Here's one of mine. No matter how much acclaim I get, no matter how successful I am as a neurosurgeon, no matter how many books I publish and how big the advances are and how many times I hear from people like you all over the world that my work is helpful to them, no matter how often Lisa tells me that I'm really helping her, that she thinks this book is the best one I've ever written, no matter how many times I hear that, when I'm quiet, when I'm thinking about the next project or the next podcast or the next idea, I hear the one-star review. I hear the rejection letter for my novel Kill Switch. I hear that I'm never going to measure up, that I'm not somehow I just got lucky and landed in this place, that I'm really not good enough, that I really don't have a voice that anybody would want to hear. When I don't get enough downloads, I hear, see, that's because your content is not as good as it should be. I hear those things. I hear names I was called as a child. I hear relationships that ended that I knew needed to end, but I feel like a failure because they did. I hear those lies. You might hear different ones. The boss says that you can't satisfy him or her, or the memory of the, of the time that your dad didn't notice you when you finally caught the fly ball or made the touchdown. Your dad wasn't there. Your mom didn't see. You might have a different story than I do. But the secret cannot be that you have to perfect yourself enough so that everyone will finally see how great you are. It can't be that you have to become lovable enough or pretty enough or thin enough that everybody will finally think you're beautiful or respect you or acknowledge you or love you. We have a big problem 
in our country right now. And this is not a political podcast, okay? It's not. But one of the big problems we have in our country right now is that people are being manipulated in their emotions and they're being made to think that if they are offended, that everybody else should do something different to make them not be offended anymore. I'm talking about you as an individual person, as an individual. If you think that the secret to a happy life is other people no longer offending you, the problem with that is you can get them to change a particular behavior, but you will find something quickly that you were equally offended by. And you will live your life perpetually finding new things with which to be offended. A better answer for you would be to apply the three filters from Micah 6.8. When Micah says, what does your Lord, what does your God require of you, O human, but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. If you can apply those three filters to where if it's, about what you do, you do justice. If it's your decision and your turn to act, you act justly. You do the right thing. If you can do that every time, you'll be okay. But when it's your turn to be, have something done to you, you love mercy. You remember that you've sinned before. You've said the wrong thing before. You've done the wrong thing before. You've let God down and let other people down before, and they didn't kill you. They didn't burn your house down. They didn't fire you or cancel you, and God didn't reject you. They showed you mercy. And so if you can learn to apply mercy in a situation where you've been given mercy before, you will stop being so offended and so hurt. And if you can walk humbly, where you always say, yeah, you know, I did a pretty good job there, but but I could have done better, or I'm not the best, I'm not the greatest. If you can always have a humility about you that knows who you are but doesn't expect to be noticed for who you are all the time, then you will find the keys to that particular problem of being perpetually offended. I'm sorry that was coming aside. I didn't mean to take that whole tangent, but the idea is if you can't learn that people are going to let you down. And when they do, it's not about you. And you can't demand that they respect you or they will respect you less. And you can't demand that everything that offends you disappears from the face of the earth because if you manage to get all of it removed, you'll find something else the next day that's equally offensive and you'll be just as mad and just as hurt and just as devastated as you ever have been because that's not the secret to becoming infinitely happier. The secret is to going into the cave and finding why you hear that limiting story. If your dad was abusive to you, you need to go find that story that's telling you somehow it's your fault and you need to deal with that and let God heal that. It's not your fault. If somebody was abusive to you, friend, it wasn't your fault. It doesn't make you less of a person now because of what somebody did in the past. If you were unfaithful in the past, be faithful now. Do better now. You can't go back and fix that. You can't. Like in like a bent paper clip. If you bend a paper clip the first time and reshape it to where it looks the same, if you hurt somebody in some way or somebody, if you say the harmful words to somebody and then you take them back and you apologize and they say it's okay, they may fold back to look similar to how it used to be. But the more times that paper clip is unfolded and refolded, what happens to it? The shape becomes distorted. And eventually it becomes weak and eventually it breaks. The, the more times harm has been done to someone, to you or to others, the less fully you can recover. And so if you've been abused, yes, there will be some hurts and some injuries that can't fully heal that you'll always hear. But you can do 
justice to yourself by going and finding the root of it and saying, you know what, this did happen to me, but it wasn't my fault. It doesn't make me less of a person. It doesn't make God love me less. It doesn't make me less lovable. He can go find the root of that problem. I used to have a need for the affirmation of other people, and it was incredibly limiting and harmful to my life. And fortunately, God broke through and gave me Lisa, who now supplies all of the affirmation that I need. I don't need five-star book reviews anymore. They're nice. I don't need people to tell me that my books are great. What I, what I appreciate now is when I hear from somebody and find out that what I've done has helped them. That's, that really moves me, but it does not define me. And it doesn't make me think that I'm a better person or better than anybody else. It just makes me want to keep working and keep creating things to help other people because that need for affirmation is satisfied by my Lord and by my wife and to an extent to the rest of my family. So I went to the cave and I figured out through a lot of hardship what it was that I was hearing. And it was really that I was scared that I didn't measure up. And I learned that I needed only to measure up to two people, God and my wife, because I could never really measure up to the ghosts that I was chasing, the the notion that I could go back in time and make all those teachers realize I really was a smart kid, that I didn't think they thought that. So Joseph Campbell's right. You can't hate the earthly. You've got to love it because you have to live here and you need to be happy living here so that other people can see you being happy and want to know what makes you tick. And what makes you tick is the idea that you get to be in heaven someday. That's the most important part of our lives. And so I just, I wanted to spend a few minutes with you today thinking about story because if you view your life as a story, then you'll recognize that at some point you're going to need to be called to action. You might need a mentor or a guide. And if you do, you'll find one. Because the great story, that God always shows up, and God's got one for you too. It might be your pastor, a minister, a chaplain, a friend, your dad, your brother, your, your coach, your sister, your wife, your mom. There might be somebody at work, or it just might be that God gives you the nudge from the Holy Spirit and tells you what you need. But once you're called to action, and once your heart says, hey, now's the time, you got to go into that cave, and you got to figure out where that limiting story is coming from, and you got to go after it and chop that thing down and replace it with some truth. And here's the truth. God loves you. He's got big plans for you. And your brain is ready for you to change those hardwired synapses and create new ones. Neurons that fire together, wire together. They create new synapses. So the more you tell yourself true stories in place of those limiting stories, then the better off you will be. The cave you fear to enter because you're afraid to go in there actually holds the treasure you seek. And the treasure is how do we get infinitely happier? And that's where you have to go, friend. You've got to summon the courage to cross that threshold and go into that dark and scary place and do that work. If you need a therapist or a pastor or a professional to help you do that, if your life is being limited by these stories and that cave seems impossible to enter, here's something bad that's going to happen. You, If you have a story that you can't confront, then you start blaming the problems of your life on other things or other people. Sometimes yourself, sometimes your spouse, sometimes your kids, sometimes your job. You start displacing the psychological torment that you're putting yourself through onto other people. 
and you start treating it in the wrong ways, drinking too much, gambling, spending too much, inappropriate relationships, all those things are terrible surrogates for the real thing that you need, which is summon the courage to go into the cave and address the real problem. That, my friend, is where you will find the treasure and the freedom and the peace that you so desperately need and all of us need it. And the one thing that I always tell you is you can't change your life until you change your mind. And Roger Miller said it, you can't roller skate in a buffalo herd, but you can be happy if you have a mind to. And I want you to have the mind that says, you know what, it's time to put down the surrogates. It's time to stop listening to the limiting stories and the lies. It's time to stop despising the earth because God put me here to be happy and to long for something better while enjoying the thing we have now and to finally going in there and getting to the root of that limiting story, that big lie, and getting after it and solving that problem, slaying that dragon and standing up as the hero of your own story because you were designed to be to live your life as the hero of your own story. This is self-brain surgery, friend. It's biblical. It's consistent with neuroscience, and it is good self-care. And you need to get into that cave and slay that dragon and be the hero of your own story, and you really need to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.